Good morning. Welcome to Coffee with the Commissioner, episode four. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by the uh, world famous, or certainly <laughs> Eston famous, uh, Rita Richardson. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for coming along um, to talk to me today. Um, just be, before we get into the, to the actual podcast itself, um, do, do you want to tell us a little bit about you? Who is Rita Richardson? I'm Rita Richardson. I'm, I'm, I was born in Grangetown, yeah, um, on Atley Road um, in 1968. So, yeah, I'm getting on. Um, I have 10 brothers and sisters, and um, I, I'm, number, I'm number 10 of the 11 of us. So that's wow. why I have got this loud voice. I've always had to shout to be heard, you know. Um, so I'm, I, I'm one of 11. Um, my mum and dad, my dad worked down... Uh, British Steel, you know, my mum didn't work, typical family. Went to the St Peter's School, absolutely loved being part of the T S X community. Really happy memories of, of childhood, you know. We weren't rich, we had, we, you know, my dad died when I was 15. Um, so, like, when I talk to my brothers and sisters about things, my, my oldest brother, he's 16 years older than me, so him being brought up is completely different to how yeah. I was brought up. Because, um, you know, my dad had died, um, his dad hadn't, and I was still going through those teenage years. But, uh, I mean, I don't, don't feel sorry for myself, you know, at all, because I, I didn't miss out on love or anything like that. Probably representing the uh, Cleveland Fire Brigade uh, uh, sweatshirt today. Tell, do you want to, how long have you been, how long have you worked with them then? So it's coming up to five years for Cleveland Fire Brigade. And um, I have never not had a job that I haven't loved in my life. Uh, you know, I've never not got up on a morning and thought, don't want to go to work. One day I was just looking. I, I don't even know why. I was probably at a long dinner. And I, and I looked online and I saw this job at the fire brigade. And I thought, oh, my gosh, look at that job. And, and when you see a job that's made for you. And you, it's a very specific job you do, yes, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is, yeah. I work, um, I work, it's the educational part. So I'm the school's education coordinator for Redcar and Cleveland, for Cleveland Fire Brigade. So my district, district is Redcar and Cleveland. And I looked at it and I thought, wow. Education, Eston Hills, obviously, the most fires. Like you said, my job's a specific job. This job is to go... I go into schools and work with um, children, deliver sessions on um, deliberate fire setting, misuse and fire. Um, and I also work with children one-to-one who, uh, who do misuse fire. So it could be anything from setting a fire, you know, an antisocial... Uh, deliberate fire in the park or up the hills, right to... Somebody who's been frightened in a fire. So we give fire safety education. That's what it is, uh, fire safety education. Um, and I just thought, when I looked at it, this this was made for me. Um, did not even think for one minute I'd get it. And uh, went for it. And I got it. And, and I, I, I remember saying to, to my boss, Helen, I've just got another job. And we all just we all just hugged each other. And she was going, are you going? And I said... I think I have to, don't I? Because they've put the faith in me, and then it's just been fantastic since then. Yeah. Um, I suppose, uh, I suppose my line manager probably says no, it hasn't. Rita, just yeah, you know, because <laughs> I never stop. I'm always all over, you know. And, and uh, I think that's what you you are. Every time I've met you, you you are always a <laughs> hundred mile an hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and mm. and like I said, both in in work and outside of work and things like that. But. It, the last the last couple of years hasn't really been easy for you. you you've had some personal challenges the last couple of years as well, haven't you? Yeah, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was um, 
I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was it was a it was a massive massive shock it was just off a a routine mammogram you know I just got to the age where they say go for a mammogram and I'd just gone and and it just popped up on me um it 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 had a massive effect on me I'd the year before I just lost my sister um she'd had breast cancer and then it had come back as secondary cancer so it and then yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was not nice. It did, it massively affected me uh, and, and affected my confidence. I, um, people say when you get cancer, I had so, m so much love, so much, you know, support from people and you get this, you're a warrior, you can do this, you, you know, and I was like putting quotes on my, on my Facebook, like you do, hey, today I can, I'm getting through, I can do this. But inside, I wasn't feeling that. You you put on this persona for people that you, yep, I'm this warrior. And I remember after um, finishing my radiotherapy, coming home and everybody's going, oh, yeah, you're going to have um celebration. And I went, oh, and I just said to my husband, I'm going to bed. And I just sat and cried. It was like, it, oh, sorry, we're a bit upset here. Don't worry about it. And I was just like, it, um, it's over now. And I thought that was it over in my head. That was it over. Anyway, um, I can't even fault the fire brigade. They were absolutely awesome. And the support you get from the services there were, were out of this world. Um, so I, I remember like um, maybe a few weeks later, being in my dressing gown and not going anywhere. And my sister-in-law came to my, my door and she said... Uh, well, it was a Sunday, I was upstairs, my husband was at work, and I remember thinking, if he was at work, I wasn't getting dressed, only getting dressed to go to work, because in your uniform, you're a different person. I was Rita, Rita the fire lady in my uniform, and and I remember my son shouting, Mam, Mam, no, uh, Sue's at the door, and I came down, and my sister-in-law stood in my front room, and I'm in my husband's dressing gown, and my hair stuck to my head, it was a Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, and I just thought, What's going on? I bundled her out of the door. She gave me these chocolates and I says, right, thanks, yeah, I'll see ya. And that's when I knew I needed help. And that's when um, I looked, well, I got support from work with counselling um, and things like that. And from then, it's just been, it's just been fantastic. Obviously, uh, the cancer's gone. It's absolutely fine. But it is like a big, you know, thing on your shoulder waiting for it, you know. But uh, it's absolutely fine. Um and since then, it's it has left me with social anxiety. And anybody who knows me, you know, I have ADHD. Everybody who knows me knows I do not have social anxiety. You know, it was some. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that I felt the way I did. I can go out and I can stand up in an assembly in front of five hundred kids, and I can, you know, and I and I can just say what, give an assembly unprepared. However, if you ask me to go and have a drink with you, um, you know, uh, at the pub, we'll go out for tea. I can't do that if it's planned. It's yeah. my heart races. But I'm getting there. You know, I'm getting there. I am. And and that's got to be incredibly tough because uh, just take a moment. Sorry. Take, take a, don't worry about it. Take as long as you need. Um, that's incredibly tough because for you to do the job you do, it, it is you are in the spotlight all the time. You are front facing. There is always somebody in front of you, whether that's one young child or whether that's five hundred kids in an assembly. You, you are always in that spotlight, aren't you? So 
what you talked about counselling and things like that. What what advice would you give to people who are who is him? Because I, I I know we talked previously. I know a lot of people that on the surface are, are these bulletproof individuals, and and then for, for rightly or wrongly, everybody who sees that just assumes that either they're fair game to have pops at or they don't mm-hmm. need support or they don't need help. What would you say to people who are behind those doors when that bedroom door's closed, when, when they've got their dressing gowns on? Mm. What would you say to people who, who feel they have that type of anxiety? W- would you absolutely advocate going and finding that support like you, you went and found it? Yeah, I would. Um, Counselling was unbelievable. Um, I, until Until this time... I'd never had counselling before, and it was something that uh, somebody else always had, you know. Or, um, or and there's a stigma attached to it, absolutely. Isn't there? Yeah. And and you know, I am an advocate for counselling now. It took me back. I had I'd, um, I'd, I'd experienced over COVID and just before as well. I'd I'd lost about five members of my family, you know, from different things, and I'd just built that up because I'm back at work the next day because we think that's how we deal with it. Yeah. But then sometimes you do need other help and there's nothing wrong with talking to a counsellor. Talking to a counsellor took me back to when I was 15-year-old and I lost my dad and that's when, um, you know, at 15, that's when I was taught how to deal with death. What did I do? I went back to school the week after. My mum was... My mum wasn't well. Obviously, she'd lost her husband. We just got on because we didn't want to upset our mum. And that's what we feel. We just get on. Yeah. But having going to counselling has, has shown me that I don't have to get on. You know what? If, I've, if, if I need a day when I need that to take that time out and just have a couple of hours, well, well I'll do it. Yeah. And, and, and going to the social anxiety, I, I'm not feeling guilty anymore for not being able to come to to your party or to go out for a meal with you or to, you know, because it's about me. It sounds really selfish, that, doesn't it? But for so long, we, well, we, we just get on. We've got to protect us, haven't we? Yeah. We've got to protect us. And counselling showed me that. Yeah. I had two lots of different counselling. I had um, the bereavement counselling, which helped and showed the other, um, with all of the, the deaths I had, I'd, I'd gone through and then I had um, the anxiety counselling which showed me how to showed me about talk to me about dealing with things if I'm hiding away um, if I'm hiding away I have to look at the reasons why I'm hiding away and um, so so I have these little little choices that I have and some of them I've got to push myself but some of them you know I can say no. I can say no. Okay. That's an incredible story. We've gone inc- right off here, haven't we? That's an incredibly <laughs> powerful story. Th- oh. No, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. It, it, it is difficult, and, and I, I, I do know people who suffer from anxiety, and, mm-hmm. and your story is, uh, for me, the more we can get stories like that out there and the more we can encourage people to open up and talk to somebody, even if it's a, whether it's a friend, whether it's family, and you're right, sometimes talking to somebody outside of the family is, is really, really helpful. Somebody who's not going to judge, not mm-hmm. going to... Because I think sometimes when you talk to family members, when you talk to friends, 
their natural instinct is to to agree with you and try and tell you everything's going to be all right. Whereas sometimes you don't need somebody to tell you it's all right. Mm. You need somebody to tell you what might help you and where that might be coming from. So, so thank you for that. But but let's move on. Let's move on. Yes, yeah, so, gosh. Yeah. So, um, friends of Eston Hills. Oh yeah. The, the other the other big love in your yeah, life. Yeah, friends of Eston Hills. Like like I said, I grew up in Grangetown. Like every TS six kid, TS seven, you know, uh, around this area. Every one of us, it's right of passage, friends of Estonhills. It's our playground. We we went up there. That was that was that's your life. You you know you'd get up. Your mum would send you up the hills with your brothers and sisters for the day, and then you'd have to come back for tea. Um, you wouldn't see them, and it's played a massive part. You know, looking back in my life, I can I can tell you like stories from people I've met going up there, and it just everything. I just loved it. And um, we started off the Friends of Eston Hills, and, and it, it's it's quite mad how it started off. I'd um, I'd signed up to go to university, right? I'd, I'd signed up to go to university, and I remember going, um, and it was the 17th of September, and I know because it was my birthday, and I went to, to university, and, uh, well, this first session, and, and when I got there, I thought, gosh, what am I doing here? Me, this Grangetown kid, you know, like, I left school with CSEs, and here I am, you know. And I was texting my husband from there going, oh, my God, I don't know why the rest is for me. Um, I came home. He'd gone out on nights. And uh, I was sat there in the house. It was my birthday. So I thought, I'm going to have a glass of wine, which I did. And um, then I'm just on Facebook scrolling away. And I saw this post somebody had put on saying, oh, the Esnils are for sale. Obviously, I'd had two glasses of wine by then. This hill was for sale. Yeah, yeah, and and it's mad because we all thought the hills belonged to us. That's what people think. The yeah. hills are ours. But um, if you look up at the hills from from say Whale Hill, Whale, top of Whale Hill, Eston, the left hand side of the hills um, from from the the monument side, they're all privately owned. The right hand side is like council. There's yeah. there's little pockets over there that are privately owned, but. Um, we always thought, I always thought it was all the councils, you know, it was just our yeah. hills. Uh, and so that's what shocked me. Um, and But there it was, a for sale sign, and I had an estate agent saying all these parts of Eston Hills were for sale. So, like I said, two glasses of wine turned into three. I set this little group up on my Facebook, mortified, like going, oh, the hills are for sale, um, and went to bed. I got up in the morning, there was a thousand people who joined, all going, the hills are for sale, oh, what's going on? I had no idea what, like, so I told my sister and my friends, and, um, you see, my friends, I've, my friend, I know they won't mind me telling you this, my, my friend Glyn, um, she lost her son to, to cancer, and she lived in Eston under Nab, and James was a great friend of all of us, uh, her son James. And the, going up the hills and sitting on the nab was his safe place. He used to sit up there. He was only a teenager, you know, when he first was diagnosed. And he would sit up there and and, and think about the world, you know, and he could look down. And then she lost him. So that was her safe place. Um, and all I kept thinking was, gosh, what if they're still the nab? What if Glyn can't get up there for his safe place? And so that like that little group of us, we, we got together and we decided we'd, we'd have a go at buying the hills. And it sounds mad, doesn't it? We'd have a go at buying the Eston Hills. So thinking back now, it was mad. And we did. And it wasn't just us. It was the whole of the community, the whole of the whole of Teesside. Cause, and, and beyond, we got money from Australia. We got, um, well, people were amazing. They gave us money on, on our dream, on, on nothing really. We were saying, oh, we'll buy the hills, give us some money. 
And how we much did, did you, how much did you need to raise? Well, when we looked, it was like quarter of a million, right? Wow. Yeah, I know, <laughs> quarter of a million. We got um, we we ended up raising about fifteen and a half grand, I think. But what had happened was, uh, these the, the hills were for sale in plots. Yeah. So we said, right, okay, we'll just buy the nab, the Eston nab, the big, you know, the point, the focal point. We'll buy the nab, but we only had fifteen and a half grand. Um, give Craig his due. He worked really hard, and um, and we we he we did were the film and all sorts in there. I remember reading it. And, yeah, we we yeah. did. We yeah, and you know he hounded the guy, and um, it went to it went to uh, a, putting the bid in, you know, to to buy by bid and process, and other people bid for it, but we just said to the guy, you know what, we're going to give it back to the public. It's for it's for the people. And uh, he accepted our fifteen and a half grand for an eighty thousand pound plot, and we we couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, and then we got the we got the bought it, signed the deeds, and then we've handed it back to public, you know, to to public yeah. land now. However, since then we um, we look after it, and not just the nab. We look after all of the hills. We're up yeah. there, you know, um, reporting, you know, reporting. We we litter pick. We you know we um, we're involved in the schools. Going in doing talks, we have uh, a, like part members of our group who do um, uh, uh, walks, you know, up the hills on, on and they talk about the mushrooms. We have David from our group; he goes in uh, local schools to do where uh, the history of the hills and and do art with them. And it's yeah. it's just great; it's just gone from there. It's it's, it's mad that something so iconic can be privately owned. It's uh, madness. It's, yeah, mm. so. Yeah. No, I yeah. think that's a brilliant thing you've done, yeah. and and you touched on there about reporting. So I know you you report a lot of antisocial behaviour, mm-hmm. not just you personally, but as a group, um, and lots of different agencies, the council, the PCC's office, the police, local community groups, over the years have have always tried to come up with some type of solution to to really ensure that the hills are safe for for the people that want to mm-hmm. use them pleasurably and. Um, but that's a challenge, isn't it? So, yeah, what it, type of things do you see up there? It it is a massive challenge, and and going back to the reason why I took the job I do is because of that, you know. Um, so I can work with those kids and let them know that the hills belong to them, um, and so we stop that right, um, lighting fires, um, but yeah, uh, the the what what do we see up there? Gosh, the 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 quads, the the motorbikes. It's it's scary up there when you're walking up the hills, you know. We we do litter picks and um I remember one one Sunday morning we were doing a litter pick and we counted forty six bikes and quads. Yeah. Yeah. Coming coming past us. And if you're walking up there and you're just a family, there was a big group of us, there was about um twelve, thirteen of us. But imagine if you're just a, a woman and two kids and you're walking up the hills and there's bikes flying over. You that that is a scary thing. It stops people going up yeah. our hills. COVID uh, during COVID, I think the the people of TS six found a love again for Eston Hills because we couldn't walk far, and yeah. that's where you walked. You know, yeah. um, we run the the Friends of Eston Hills Facebook page, and during COVID, it was absolutely full of the most amazing photos of families enjoying picnics. People saying, "This is the first time I've taken my kids up there." You know, it, it was wonderful. But we seem to be losing that again because yeah. it's getting the bikes are back up there. And I know you're doing a lot of work on it, and we have um, we have seen a, a decrease, you know, with the bikes um, locally. It's uh, and 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 I get that the kids have 
the kids of TS6, like I said, I get that those kids think that they have a right to take the bike up there. I grew up with those kids who, who yeah. used to go up there, but it's a, it's a massive difference now to, 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 I don't know, Joey down the road who used to go on his old under, his knackered old under. Now we have organised groups going, and it's not just TS6. Yeah. You know? and, and we've done some work together on, on the Back on Track programme. And do, how, how do you think, from somebody with who sees that firsthand on a regular basis and with your other hat on, you're, you're looking to work with young people to try and educate them. The, the Back on Track programme, which is aimed at educating people yeah. around motorbikes, how do you think that's going to benefit in the long run? Back on Track is amazing. And, you know, uh, pat on the back for, for, for supporting that. Um, it is absolutely amazing. Graham spoke to me a couple of years, and, and Graham is the police intervention coordinator yeah. who who, um, who works at... Uh, Red car um, for Cleveland Police, and um, he told me about that what he'd done over in Durham, and I was like, that is that is fantastic. And he's taken these kids who were just on the cusp, who who you know they're going, them they might be the ones who are just on the back of a bike now, on the front of a quad, and they're just getting you know there, and um, he's taken them and and he's showing them well everything about. Bikes and, and the safety side, you know, he has the blood banks in. We, we have them at the fire brigade where we cut them out of cars. If, if they're not getting cut out, we'll show them how they're getting cut out of cars. I'll go in and talk about the effect um, on, on antisocial behaviour on the community. We have uh, council in there. One of the things that stuck with me, I think you, I think you were there, Steve, you were, um, you were handing out uh, certificates was when a Graham said that one of the boys had said to him, I now know how, and I think the boy who was there, the, the young person who was there, he said, he now looks behind when he's on his bike. A lifesaver. And that yeah. could save his life. We've lost yeah. too many young people on, on bikes just looking behind, even though he might not stop riding bikes, him looking behind is saving yeah. his life. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic initiative. Absolutely, well done on that one. It's really good. Well Thank done, you. Graham. Who's you know? Graham, Graham's great, been brilliant. Graham's worked really hard. And like you said, he's he's not just done that. He's brought in organisations like yourself. Oh. He's brought in other people. So you touched on antisocial behaviour. Now you've got a great background in antisocial behaviour, and Cleveland's now one of the trial areas for for the government's new antisocial behaviour schemes. And and I know we chatted briefly on that. How do you think we really start to tackle antisocial behaviour? Is it enforcement? Is it education? Is it youth work? What 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 do you with your background as as a sort of an expert in the subject? What mm. what do, how do you think we really get to grips with antisocial behaviour in Cleveland? I don't know about an expert, but uh, just a mum. Antisocial behaviour. Do you know it's always got to start at the bottom grassroots for me. You know, grassroots like like with. Um, with the with the fire brigade, for example, we are having um, we we've had trouble with children and young people throwing stones at our firefighters. You know the antisocial behaviour that way. Um, and what we've been doing in um, Redcar and Cleveland is our firefighters have been going in the local schools and having lunch with the kids. And although they're not um, you know doing any specific work with them, the kids are getting to know them. And uh, so now when they're out on the, the estate, they're coming up to them and saying, well, remember me um, and, and, and chatting to them. So grassroots for me is is the key route. We don't want like I know we said earlier, we don't want to criminalize kids. We don't we, we yeah. don't want that. We don't want to give them 
you know, a, a bad reputation. But do, you, do you think the need? I think for me, what I'm hearing is the need role models. The, the need, oh, the need to massively. be able to look up to people like you and and others like you. And there are so many passionate people, but in the fire brigade, in the police service, in the ambulance service, within teaching, just great people out there generally, and. And I think some of these kids do need a role model oh, and somebody that they can look up to. Absolutely, and we've got them in the community. You know, um, I have a friend, Adam, who, who lives in Grangetown, and he was the archaeologist who worked on the Eston Hills on the Ice and Fire Project. And um, when I go into schools and I'm talking about... Um, in my previous role, when I worked for the youth service, I would tell the kids about Adam if I'm in Grangetown Primary or Whale Hill Primary, and... They would, I would say, you can be whatever you want. Our kids need to know they can be whatever they want. Like, I'd say Indiana Jones. Adam's like Indiana yeah. Jones, and he came from Grangetown. Isn't that great, you know? Um, and they do need good role models because we, we're just going to see the same cycle going round and round again, you know? Yeah. And, and we do need good role models. Uh, they need to be given the chance to shine. They do. Yeah. Mm. So, And I, I think you are an excellent role model for, for young people across Redcliffe Lynn. So thank you so much yeah, for you. coming link today. Thank you for sharing. I know some of that was, was tougher than than you maybe thought it was going to be this morning. Um but we really appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners will really appreciate that. Um I think if anybody listening to this podcast um wants to get involved, whether whether you're a tier six resident, you want to get involved with Friends of Eston Hills, they do some fantastic work. Um, they're, they're always looking for, for good people to come along and support them, um, whether that's physically or just on social media. Or th There's so much you can do, and I think we, we need more of that. And I, I think if every area had their own Friends of Eston Hills um, for the right reasons, driven by the right people, I think we'd live in a much better area. So thank you very much for coming along today. Thank um, you. Thank you to everybody that's listening. You've been listening to... Me, Steve Turner, Police and Crime Commissioner for Cleveland, Rita Richardson, um, and our Coffee with the Commissioner podcast. Thank you very much, and speak to you all again soon.